Back to Basics, Autologous Tissue by Lisa Spruce. Abstract. Perioperative personnel manage autologous tissue when they care for patients undergoing procedures requiring the use of bone, soft tissue, or other autologous tissue to repair or replace defects. Use of autologous tissue can minimize the risk of rejection, disease transfer, and infection compared with the use of artificial materials. There are important steps to follow when handling autologous tissue to ensure it is safe for replantation and does not become contaminated. This Back to Basics article provides strategies for managing some types of autologous tissue, including bone flaps, parathyroid tissue, skin grafts, and veins. Tissue management strategies include creating strict documentation policies, standardizing processes and communication, and implementing routine audits to assess compliance. Facilities that handle autologous tissue for same patient and same facility autotransplantation or delayed replantation are not required to register with the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, FDA, as a tissue bank. These procedures are exempted from the FDA registration requirement because the FDA considers autologous tissue harvest and replantation into the same patient at a later date to be a single, continuous procedure. However, the facility is required to register if autologous tissue handling includes steps to process the autograft or if any step requires manufacturing controls to decontaminate the tissue, such as subjecting the autograft to a steam sterilization process. Registration is also required if the facility plans to distribute the autograft to another facility located at a different address. A good resource for facilities that handle autologous tissue is the Standards of the American Association of Tissue Banks, AATB, which provides answers to common questions regarding the management of autologous tissue. This Back to Basics article describes the steps to take to manage some types of autologous tissue that perioperative RNs may encounter during their practice. AORNs, Guideline for Autologous Tissue Management, is a comprehensive guide to managing autologous tissue. Perioperative nurses should refer to the complete guideline for detailed information. How-to guide. Perioperative RNs frequently care for patients undergoing autologous tissue replantation procedures. Tissues that RNs may manage include cranial bone flaps, parathyroid tissue, skin grafts, and veins. These tissues must be handled, stored, and transported correctly to avoid contamination of the graft. Also important is knowing actions to take if a graft is dropped on the floor and contaminated. Cranial bone flaps. The following scenario demonstrates when the removal of cranial bone and subsequent replantation may be indicated. After a motorcycle accident, emergency personnel transported a 30-year-old man to the emergency department where physicians diagnosed a left temporal area brain contusion and a traumatic subdural hematoma. Neurosurgeons subsequently performed a craniotomy with cranial bone flap removal. The patient's cranial bone flap needed to be stored for replantation at a later date. Restoration of the postoperative cranial defect 
using the patient's preserved autologous bone has several benefits over the use of artificial materials, such as titanium and polypropylene polyester. These benefits include Improved appearance Increased potential for bone engrafting, remodeling, and growth Reduced potential for immunoreaction or disease transmission Improved heat conduction Reduced cost and reduced operating time. Cranial bone flaps may be frozen or cryopreserved for replantation at a later date. The optimal storage temperature for cranial bone flaps has not been determined. However, the AATB recommends that temporary storage temperatures for autologous bone grafts be maintained at negative 40 degrees Celsius, negative 40 degrees Fahrenheit, or colder and storage time should be limited to no more than six months in total. From June 2011 to March 2016, Chan and others examined the storage of 18 cranial bone flaps, maintained at a storage temperature of negative 80 degrees Celsius, negative 112 degrees Fahrenheit, at a skull bone bank. They collected bone chips and deep bone swabs to determine the presence of osteoblasts and to conduct microbial cultures. The storage period ranged from 4 to 55 months. The studies showed that there was no viable osteoblast growth beyond 4 months and that there was a significant amount of microbial contamination, that is 27.8%, at the deep part of the bone flaps. Another way to preserve a patient's cranial bone flap is to store it in a subcutaneous pocket in an anatomical location inside the patient, such as the abdomen, anterolateral thigh, or scalp. In a case report, Wang and others described a patient whose cranial bone flap was stored in a subcutaneous pouch that surgeons created in the patient's left lower abdomen. After 68 days, the flap was retrieved and implanted at the site of his skull defect. After three years, the patient noticed a hard lump in the region of his abdomen where the skull flap had been stored. The patient reported a slight tingling sensation during strenuous activity and when bending over. He believed the area was becoming harder, but he did not have the area removed until nine years after the implantation. The excised tissue was a hard sheet of bone that contained a large number of osteocytes and mature bone matrix. A large number of fibroblasts and collagen fibers were present. Under high power magnification, researchers identified mature osteocytes. The authors reported that preserving bone flaps in the abdomen was convenient, but noted that there can be complications because of the residual periosteum from the bone flap can differentiate from mesenchymal stem cells into osteocytes that secrete bone matrix and can generate new bone. Personnel should not steam sterilize autologous bone unless there is a clinical indication to do so, such as to destroy tumor cells. Steam sterilization denatures bone protein and may damage the bone structure and increase the potential for infection and bone resorption. The steam sterilization process has not been validated for use with human tissue for transplantation. When autologous bone is subjected to steam or other sterilization processes that require manufacturing controls, the facility must be registered with the FDA and follow all requirements 
for handling this tissue. Parathyroid tissue. Another type of tissue that is frequently autotransplanted is parathyroid tissue. Unintentional removal or injury to the parathyroid gland can occur during subtotal or total parathyroidectomy, thyroid resection, nodal dissection for thyroid cancer, and reoperative neck surgery, which can cause the onset of permanent hypothyroidism. This can be devastating for patients and negatively affect their quality of life because they have to undergo frequent laboratory testing procedures, use thyroid supplements, and may experience other long-term effects such as osteoporosis, cataracts, and neurologic and cardiac dysfunction. Parathyroid tissue can be cryopreserved and reimplanted at a later time, which allows the clinician to determine whether any residual parathyroid tissue will recover function or if a delayed reimplantation will be required. A standard protocol for the cryopreservation of parathyroid tissue does not exist, and additional research is warranted to determine the optimal process for cryopreservation to enhance cell viability. Agarwal and others describe the cryopreservation technique and storage methods used for autologous parathyroid glands at a university medical center beginning in 2002. Within 15 minutes of excision, the surgeon removed fragments of parathyroid tissue from the patient and minced it into 30 to 40 uniform small pieces, that is, 2 millimeters by 2 millimeters in size, suspended them in a sterile normal saline solution, and drew the solution into a 1 milliliter tuberculin syringe. The RN circulator capped and labeled the syringe, placed it into a plastic bag, labeled it as biohazardous material, and surrounded it with ice for immediate transport to the laboratory. In the laboratory, the pathologist histologically confirmed the tissue to be normal parathyroid tissue by frozen section to prevent storage of cancerous or non-parathyroid tissue. The pathologist preserved the autologous parathyroid segments in cryopreservation media and stored the tissue in liquid nitrogen. Perioperative personnel also collected approximately 10 milliliters of the patient's blood in tubes that contained no additives. The pathologist used the blood to prepare the cryopreservation media. The cryopreservation process took approximately one to two hours. The tissue was stored for a minimum of two years. Laboratory personnel were notified that the tissue would be needed the day before the reimplantation procedure to allow sufficient time to thaw the desired quantity of parathyroid tissue. Laboratory personnel gradually thawed the tissue and delivered it to the OR at room temperature. This type of tissue may be delivered to the OR either at room temperature or on ice, based on the surgeon's preference. Perioperative personnel transferred the tissue to a sterile specimen cup and added sterile normal saline solution. The surgeon reimplanted the parathyroid tissue into several small muscular pockets of the patient's non-dominant arm, with one to two fragments transplanted into each pocket. The surgeon determined that the amount of parathyroid tissue to be reimplanted should equal two normal-sized parathyroid glands. After surgery, the surgeon closely monitored the patient's serum calcium and parathyroid hormone levels, which indicated that the transplant was a success. 
The authors noted that parathyroid function may take several weeks to manifest at levels detectable via blood samples. Skin Patients who have experienced a loss of skin from full-thickness burns, surgical removal of skin malignancies, or chronic non-healing skin ulcers may benefit from autologous skin grafting. It is common to see refrigeration storage of split-thickness skin grafts for delayed reimplantation. Delaying reimplantation allows the surgeon to perform skin graft placement at the patient's bedside after the initial swelling of the recipient's site has improved. There is a risk of infection from contaminated or non-viable autologous skin grafts. Therefore, it is important to follow guidelines for sterile storage. The skin may be refrigerated, stored in normal saline or storage medium, or it may be cryopreserved. NAPIC and others conducted a survey of plastic surgeons in Europe to determine routine clinical storage of split-thickness skin grafts. The survey revealed that the most common practice was to store the skin wrapped in saline-soaked gauze in a refrigerator at negative 4 degrees Celsius, 24.8 degrees Fahrenheit, for up to 10 days. The researchers also determined that the histological tests of skin stored in this manner showed no disintegration of the tissue or decrease in collagen and elastic fibers. However, it did show that cell viability decreased by 50% after day 3. Additionally, on day 7, 25% of the cells were apoptotic, that is, had undergone cell death. The researchers noted that storage after 3 days reduced cell viability. Veins Veins also are commonly preserved and auto-transplanted, especially in older patients in the event of a graft failure after cardiac surgery. The saphenous vein is the most commonly stored vein and should be stored in a manner that maintains vessel function and prevents epithelial injury. The storage medium used for veins has traditionally been normal saline or lactated ringer solution. We'll bring another's intraoperatively isolated saphenous vein segments and stored them in different storage solutions. That is, physiological saline solution, potassium chloride, and acetylhistidine-enriched solution for 90 minutes. They then studied the vein segments in a tissue bath with continuous oxygen insufflation at 36 degrees Celsius, 96.8 degrees Fahrenheit. The results showed that maximum vessel wall tension was significantly reduced in the veins stored in the potassium chloride solution. The endothelium-derived vasodilatory function also was significantly reduced. The researchers concluded the potassium chloride solution should be avoided for intraoperative storage of vein grafts. They suggested that histidine tryptophan ketoglutarate, heparinized blood, or triprotect should be used. Perioperative personnel should store veins in any of these storage mediums, saline or lactated ringer solution. Cryopreservation should not be used because it destroys the integrity of the endothelial layer of the vein. Dropped autographs. There are times when autographs become contaminated because they are dropped on the floor. Jankowitz and others retrospectively reviewed instances of dropped bone flaps among patients undergoing craniotomies 
in one institution during a 16-year period. They found 14 instances of personnel dropping a bone flap. Four occurrences involved dropping a bone flap while elevating it. Four involved handling the bone off in the field. And four occurred during plating. The other two occurrences were of unknown origin. In two cases, personnel autoclaved the dropped bone. In eight cases, personnel soaked the graft in an antibiotic or povidone iodine solution. And in three cases, personnel replaced the bone with mesh. In the last case, the treatment was unknown. None of the patients experienced subsequent infection, and the authors recommended replacing the bone flap after treatment with an antibiotic or povidone iodine irrigation or after autoclaving the bone. In a retrospective review citing literature from 2004 to 2014, Abdel Fattah found 31 incidents of dropped bone flaps in one university hospital in which 10,000 craniotomies were performed during a 10-year period. These instances revealed that 16 dropped bone flaps occurred during elevation of the bone, 5 during drilling of the bone on the sterile field, and 10 during insertion of the bone flap. Treatment of the bone included soaking in povidone iodine and an antibiotic solution, autoclaving, or discarding the bone and replacing it with mesh material. No patients experienced a postoperative infection or any long-term complications. The author emphasized that prevention is the key to avoiding a dropped bone flap and offered the following recommendations. Hold the skull flap with dry gauze. Leave 3 millimeters of bone attached at one end during the craniotomy and elevate the flap using a dissector and have an experienced assistant hold the flap during elevation, during drilling on the sterile field, and during the flap reinsertion. The author also noted that complications can occur at a greater frequency after midnight, when the perioperative team may be tired, or when the on-call team is not as well trained in the procedure, and they recommend postponing surgeries until the morning, unless an emergency life-saving procedure is warranted. If a perioperative team member drops or contaminates an autograft, the following actions can be taken. Rinse the contaminated graft in sterile normal saline solution to remove surface debris and contaminants. Use pulsatile lavage at a low pressure setting, for example, 6 pounds to 14 pounds per square inch, and use sterile normal saline solution for more thorough cleansing of contaminated bone grafts if indicated, for example, Adherent debris. Use a separate sterile field for decontaminating the dropped graft and exercise care to prevent splashing onto the primary sterile field. Implement corrective actions as necessary to maintain the sterility of the primary sterile field. For example, changing gloves and gowns after pulsatile lavage of the contaminated graft. Document the antibiotics or antiseptics in the solution used to rinse the autograft. Obtain cultures before and after decontamination of the graft to determine the identity of the contaminating microorganism and the level of contamination. Consult with an infection preventionist to assess the benefits versus harms of implementing postoperative broad-spectrum antibiotic prophylaxis therapy. Change the wound classification to Class 3, Contaminated. 
document the event in a variance report, conduct a debriefing session, and a root cause analysis with members of the surgical team and other individuals who may be helpful in providing a critical analysis and determining the factors that contributed to the event and methods to prevent its recurrence, and send the autograph to a tissue bank for decontamination and processing. Transferring autologous tissue to storage. When the surgeon identifies the tissue for storage, the scrub person should pass it from the sterile field to the RN circulator as soon as possible to reduce the risk of it becoming lost, misplaced, or contaminated. If the tissue needs to remain on the sterile field for a period of time, personnel should identify, sequester, and monitor it. The scrub person should keep the tissue moist to prevent it from drying out before packaging and storage. It should not be placed on dry-absorbent materials or surfaces because this can lead to desiccation of the tissue. Additionally, to help ensure the tissue integrity and successful reimplantation in the patient, the scrub person should not twist or crush the tissue. To minimize the risk of labeling errors, the AATB recommends that personnel use the readback method when verifying the tissue and the patient before handing grafts off the sterile field. Sterile technique and standard precautions should be used during transfer of autologous tissue to help protect the perioperative team from exposure to blood and other potentially hazardous material and prevent contamination of the tissue. Benefit Using autologous tissue can be very advantageous for patients because it minimizes the risk of rejection, disease transfer, and infection. It also increases patient satisfaction. Perot and others surveyed 65 women who had undergone post-mastectomy reconstruction with either an artificial implant or an autologous tissue flap. The data revealed that the women who underwent breast reconstruction using autologous tissue were significantly more satisfied with their overall outcome compared with those who underwent the implant procedure. However, both procedures appeared to have equally improved the patient's psychosocial and sexual well-being and satisfaction. Strategies for success. Mistakes and errors can happen during handling of autologous tissue, and these can lead to detrimental effects for patients, such as surgical site infections. The Joint Commission has noted several areas of concern found during surveys, including tissue packages stored and opened in an unapproved location, a lack of documentation of the tissue's chain of custody, tissue stored in a non-standardized manner, and incorrect documentation. To help combat these issues, the Joint Commission offers the following strategies to prevent mishaps in the handling of autologous tissue. Assign one person in the organization to oversee every aspect of tissue management. For example, policies and procedures on storage of tissue, movement of tissue, placement of tissue, receipt of tissue. This designated person is the central point of contact throughout the facility to help ensure consistent processes are followed. This person should standardize all tissue management processes and communication, create a step-by-step -step protocol for tissue tracking and management that meets traceability requirements and ensures that personnel are strictly adhering to the protocol. Understand different departments' needs. 
and help personnel stay current on problem areas and implement improvements. And include patients in the communication plan so that they can understand the importance of communicating concerns or issues regarding their implanted tissue and to trace the tissue if there is an untoward outcome. Develop and implement an efficient documentation process. Documentation of tissues should be efficient, consistent, and easy for nurses to complete so that it does not interfere with their workflow. Documentation should include specifics regarding tissue integrity, necessary processes for reconstituting tissue, handling tissue on or off the sterile field, storage conditions, and patient information to ensure the tissue can be traced if needed. Implement routine audits to assess compliance with policies and procedures. Monthly audits are a good way to make sure perioperative team members are following all of the steps in the tissue management policies and procedures. If non-compliance is identified, an opportunity to provide staff member education or revised processes can be instituted in a timely manner. It is important for all perioperative team members who are involved in tissue management to follow all of the steps required to ensure patient safety and also to protect themselves from harm or possible litigation when tissue is not handled according to facility policy. Document all nursing activities related to the management of autologous tissue. These activities are dictated by facility policy, regulatory requirements, guidelines, and accrediting agency standards. Documentation serves as the legal record of the delivery of patient care, records patient responses to nursing interventions, and demonstrates a continuous journey toward high-quality outcomes. Documenting should include Tracking the autologous tissue from its source to its final destination. Listing all of the autologous tissue stored and used. Obtaining informed consent. Documenting information about tissue recovery, processing, preservation, labeling, storage, tissue culture results, and release or transfer of the tissue. Recording times and dates of the tissue preparation and who prepared the tissue for preservation. Recording times and dates of tissue storage and who retrieved the tissue. Maintaining quality assurance records and tracking information regarding the transfer or disposal of tissue. The FDA requires that records related to autologous tissue management be maintained for a minimum of 10 years after the tissue is expired or dispensed, whichever is longer. Wrap-up. Perioperative RNs frequently care for patients who require replantation of autologous tissue. It is important to follow national guidelines, such as AORNs, Guideline for Autologous Tissue Management, as well as federal, state, and local regulatory requirements and the standards of accrediting agencies. Doing so helps ensure patients and perioperative team members are safe and patients experience optimal surgical outcomes. <laughs>